First, a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture as well as dissecting some very important topics of our choosing. It's November 2022 and we're here with Under Review, an opportunity for us to talk about some recent releases in film, TV and music that have piqued our interest. This episode, we're discussing The Banshees of Inner Sharon, which is the latest film from Martin McDonagh starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Barbarian, the film to eclipse Halloween ends as the most talked about horror of the season, and a show that April's been waiting to land in the UK for months, The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White. Don't forget, these will be spoilerific discussions, so do make sure you've um, watched everything before you listen to our discussion. If there's anything that you haven't watched but you want to listen to the other bits, we'll put the timestamps in the show notes. Yes, yes we will. Yes, Yes, we will. Can I just say, this is uh, an episode that's all about bees. As it's not like bzzz, but like banshees, barbarians, bears. If we still named uh, the episodes with comedic titles, then... That that would be it, wouldn't it? Three bees. It would be like... BBB. BBB. Thanks for that observation. That's fine. I was riffing a bit off barbarian there as well. It's quite satisfying, isn't it? If you got the hint. I did, um, yeah. Thanks. (laughs) It was quite bad. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. You didn't like me yesterday. So, let's start with the Banshees of Inner Sheeran. I'm going to preface this and say that there are a couple of names in this that I'm 100% going to butcher. I'm not even going to say that bit that I'm I mean, you could you. just use first names. I'm going to. That's I fine. think that's Can fair. you not see that I've written it phonetically? Though? Yes, I, I like that. Yeah. I can see that on your little script, your little notes. Yeah. Um, at least there's no Siobhan. Oh, no, there is a Siobhan there in there. Siobhan. Maybe you can call a Siobhan just for shits and giggles. What's another one? Home Doherty. Is that how we're... Colm. 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 Okay. I'd say Colm. Great. It all, this is like what I usually struggle with when I'm having to just pronounce actors' names generally. Yeah, fine. And then we have to pause and I have to YouTube them for a bit. The thing is, you're Irish, though. So <laughs> So I should, be... what you're saying is that I should naturally yeah, I'm gonna be, be de- able to pronounce all of these. 100% going to be defaulting to you. Well, joke's on you because <laughs> <laughs> I can't pronounce shit. But I will give it a go. Thanks so much. So The Banshees of Inner Sharon is a 2022 black comedy film written and directed by Martin McDonough. It stars Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Kerry Condon and Barry Keown and reunites Farrell and Gleeson who had previously worked together on McDonough's directorial debut feature film in Bruges which came out in 2008. Banger. Great film. The plot is loosely. It follows lifelong friends who find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship. In 1923 on the small fictional Irish Isle of Inner Sharon during the Irish Civil War, folk musician Colm Doherty abruptly begins ignoring his longtime friend and drinking buddy Porig. I'm not going to say the surname. No, that's fine. I'm really sorry. Just say Porig. I think Porig. that's fair. I didn't even. I didn't think they even said his surname in the film. Did they, they do, but let me look at it. It's. Mm, I'm not going to try. No. If you if you out there Sil can Hen? pronounce it, it's not going to be that, is it? No. Well, that'll be something for us to look up yeah. on the old pronunciation 
internet website when this is finished. Yes. The, time. Um, the film premiered at this year's Venice Film Festival in September, where it received a 15-minute standing ovation, which was the longest at the festival this year. And then it was released theatrically on the 21st of October 2022 in both the UK and the US. So it had simultaneous release, which nice. seems to rarely happen these days. So Certainly um, in this episode. Yeah, right. Um, so expectations and feelings on sort of Madonna's work going into it. Tell me what you think about him generally, his other films, and what you were sort of looking forward to with um, with Banshees. Um, I mean, we've discussed Madonna's work once before when Three Billboards came did, out on yeah. the podcast. Um, I had quite high expectations of this, given that it was a Martin McDonough film, and generally speaking, of the films that I have seen, mm-hmm. um, I have enjoyed them. And also the early reactions to this film when they came in. I didn't read anything in depth, but, you know, like the one-line reactions on uh, on Twitter were mm-hmm. very, very positive. They were, so I kind they? of, yeah, I had high expectations. I think I count myself as a fan. I do really like his work. I haven't seen any of his plays. I do know... For example, our friend Peggy has seen all of his plays Mm -hmm. and really likes his work on stage. Um, I've heard good things and I've seen In Bruges and Three Billboards. I don't think I've seen Seven Psychopaths. Oh, interesting. Okay. I don't think so. I think maybe I've just seen In Bruges more than once. But yeah, I I do like his stuff and I think I, knowing his kind of, getting a sense of his style based off those films, I sort of expected something that would kind of balance light and dark and comedy and tragedy and could possibly be polarizing i think i always expect to go into his work and people could have a a whole range of reactions yes i was interested to see a film that was set in ireland his parents are irish i think he was born in london but his his parents are irish um so it's obviously a setting that's quite close to his heart and is quite different to the previous films we've had so i was kind of interested in that Obviously, because I've got a bit of a connection to Ireland as well, and notably old Irish men. Yeah. Very topical for me. And because of the title, Banshees sort of carries that connotation of like Gaelic folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching as a kid, my grandmother, who was Northern Irish, had a film. I have no idea what it was called, but it was about banshees. About oh, interesting. Banshee ghosts, okay. And I was obsessed with it. So I'm always drawn to that name for some reason. So I did wonder if there'd be some sort of loose themes around sort of mythology and folklore and sort of storytelling and literature so mm-hmm. i was i was definitely intrigued plus two of ireland's best exports easily love colin farrell love brendan gleason so yeah. i was kind of excited how about you yeah um i think i was feeling sort of very mixed um, i liked in bruges I thought Seven Psychopaths was fine. It's a really good ensemble piece. There are loads of people in There's it. There's loads of people in it, like. isn't there? Yeah. yeah, it's a really good cast, but I was a bit wishy-washy on it. And I really didn't gel with Three Billboards in the way that a lot of people did. I didn't yeah, we had it. quite different reactions yeah, to Three which, Billboards because I liked it way more than you did. Yeah, which I think is it's interesting that you bring up sort of the polarising nature of his work because that's something that I was really aware of going in, particularly because we had had that kind of discussion on the pod. I do like how his films generally often feel like plays. It's very evident to me that he is a playwright you when you're tell, watching his can't films. You? Yeah. Um, I sometimes think that can maybe feel like a bit of a hindrance, but most of the time I think it works. So I was interested to sort of see how that would sort of work in this particular setting. Um, I definitely, like you, was a bit hyped post-film festivals because there was lots of good chat, particularly about the sort of performances of mm. both Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who I 
absolutely adore. You um, just know their performances are going to be on point. Yeah. They're just amazing. Actors. Absolutely. And, and also the press junkets beforehand. Just we saw them on the red carpet yeah. and things, giving interviews, and there were snippets on Twitter, and they're just so delightful. They together. have such a nice dynamic, so yeah. I was really looking forward to sort of seeing that back on screen again. And also uh, just Barry Keoghan. Barry! Lovely Barry. We love you. That's a that's another fine Irish export right there. Isn't it? So, uh, those were our expectations. What were your kind of initial general reactions after we went to see it? I mean, it's enjoyed it, the word. I think, I do think it is, it's, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fucking heartbreaker. Yeah. I really appreciate this film for like, it's, it's, the beauty of its setting mm. and the performances and its themes really hollowed me out quite a lot, though, in terms of sort of emotionally. I think it's just the it's it's the focus on friendship, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And what it means to lose a friendship, I think, is actually, for me personally, quite harrowing and quite yeah. a worst case scenario. Yeah. And the idea of someone... I mean, relationships, as in romantic relationships, are bad enough when someone tells you they want to break up, but it kind of comes with the territory. But the idea of, like, your best friend telling you they're not interested in you anymore is, like, an absolute wrecker for me. Yeah. So I felt that quite deeply. Yeah. And so it kind of... I think Madonna, Madonna always tries to sort of strip the humanity of people bare. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, I guess. But um, yeah, that idea of sort of, I don't know, that focus on friendship really got me. And also there's this weird, and I'm not saying it's true at all, but in society we have this weird idea that like male friendships are quite scarce and unusual. Uh And like having a a close male friendship between two males is like, yeah, it's, it's like a really rare thing. And it doesn't often happen, which kind of makes the loss here feel even more one profound. But do you know what I mean? I do, do know what you mean. have this weird idea. Yeah, I think it, for me, it made me think a lot about how McDonough's work, apart from Three Billboards, I think does often focus on dynamics specifically between men yeah. and sort of friendships and mm. relationships generally. But I was really taken with that aspect particularly with this just yeah. that kind of rendering of male friendships and then also just generally that notion like you say the idea of someone just waking up one day and just being like nah and you haven't even fallen out no. it's just that someone's decided you're not interested and they don't like you anymore yeah. and that's just so horrible it's just horrifically painful to even I hate that idea and there's almost nothing you can do about that because you haven't done anything wrong so that's like nightmare material for me and it kind of made me reflect sort of painfully on the experience of that kind of inevitable sense of feeling of growing older and wondering what kind of trace you're going to leave when yep. you're gone and how will you be remembered and what mark have you left on the world and have you fulfilled everything you wanted to do and that idea of sort of a lot of these characters have unfulfilled dreams or they're not living their life freely in the way that they want to but also that idea of like what what is it you want to achieve in life like is it greatness quote-unquote or is it the impact that you leave on people like people aim for different things and what's more important than the other there's a lot in there about Um, legacy in that yeah yeah so it's very it's very thematically heavy um which for the most part i really liked i found it funny especially at the beginning and then it kind of the strangeness and the the violence and the sort of melancholy kind of deepens as it goes on but i i did find it funny i i will talk one thing that jarred with me a bit maybe a bit later but i did think it was quite a rich viewing experience um, and it left me with lots to think about and it feels like generally speaking the people that 
I know who went in to see this who know sort of Martin McDonough's work and kind of had a probably a more accurate expectation of what this film might what the tone of this film might be what it might be like I think are fairly united in enjoying it like I haven't seen that many negative reactions Mm. to it I've seen way more positive than negative so it feels like in a lot of ways it's probably less divisive than well it's definitely less divisive than three billboards Um, and I think yeah generally I think I had like a a good experience watching it I enjoyed it and I thought performances were fantastic what about you um i think i generally had a good time with it i am fascinated with how it's being sold to mainstream audiences through adverts and stuff as a comedy isn't it i find it really funny a lot of people i've spoken to who wouldn't necessarily have gone to see it for whatever reason Mm. have been a bit like oh i thought it was going to be funnier yeah because of they've sold sold in the adverts um which i think is very fascinating that just i mean that hinges on there's so much and we've got an example later actually of a film that i think like the trailer markets itself quite well and quite cleverly yeah whereas here this does feel like one of those classic missteps where they're trying to pull in audiences for the wrong reason i think you go in perhaps thinking it's going to be a lot more heartwarming than it actually is oh definitely that because i think i knew it would be quite dark Uh but i sort of almost anticipated it based on the trailer being ending at least maybe in a slightly more heartwarming way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have thought about it a lot since, particularly my feelings on, I guess, the overall allegorical message and the, na- the sort of what the narrative is alluding to, which is the Irish Civil War. Um, yeah, absolutely. It made me realise that my knowledge of Irish history is mm-hmm. just like, particularly like older mm-hmm. Irish history is just like non-existent Same. in a way that, you know... I don't think is ever a bad thing to be confronted with the fact that you've just got a very, like, you've got a blind spot. It's very English of us, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Because you just don't get taught any of this no, at, of course you don't. at, at school. Nope. I think to, to that end, I think that the ending particularly sort of felt quite impactful and ham-fisted in equal measure for me particularly, and that's the thing I keep coming back to, and I think mm. we can maybe unpack that a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, I definitely have warmed to it more, though, as time has passed. I think I went from thinking it was good to thinking it was rubbish, now I'm back to thinking it's actually quite clever yeah. and a very, I don't know, a very typically play-like way of addressing a very complex period in Irish history. I think yeah. to me it makes sense that McDonough is a playwright because actually I think if you look at the structure of it and actually totally, what he's getting totally at... Totally feels like a play, It feels it? like very play-y it's in that a, regard. It's almost like a two-man play. I mean, the main thing for me is that it's more enjoyable... It was more of an enjoyable experience than Three Billboards. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it is because the focus is on... Um, to primarily on two men and maybe that's where mcdonough feels more comfortable which is i have written i am convinced that mcdonough just can't write female characters sufficiently which is fine he's a man he's a man i don't really need him to no um, that's what i kept thinking yeah yeah no i think that's a fair reading definitely the use of comedy and tragedy is kind of I mean, I think we're all... Expe- if you know McDonough's film, you're yeah. kind of expecting oh, yeah. well, it. You, you said off the bat that it's one of those things I think that he is known for now. Yeah, and it's sort of... It's exactly that black humour. So it's like quite... It's chock full of swearing and it's quite biting and quite witty. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a nice... I do think the performances between Gleeson and Farrell are great. And I like the way that sort of Gleeson as Colm is sort of absolutely wicked, quite witty and quite blunt. And then you've got that balanced against the kind of naive dimness of he's Colin sad, isn't he? He's, he's very, very sad, sad and naive. Little sad puppy energy. Um, and the tragedy in it is 
like balanced against the the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, as you mm-hmm. say, it's really interesting that the main story, the 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 sort of the story between Porrick and Colm is so tragic and gut wrenching, but it's also really domestic and small, and it's Isn't against it? the backdrop of this massive, you know, this civil war. Yeah, and you've got some dude breaking up with his best mate down the pub yeah. and like a dead donkey, but it still feels like such a big moment and yeah, I can of sort of still understand why it feels like the be all and end all even well, though across the way something even like so much bigger is happening absolutely and I think that's why it is it works in that regard to be honest because you have this very like you say domestic scenario between the two men and then you are literally situationally watching mm. from afar this war that's going on and that was the point at which for me i was like oh okay this is what the point of it is yeah, it's yeah. meant to be a representation mm. of a, a solid unit of mm. like a, two men and their friendship mm. suddenly being wrenched apart mm. and like what the fallout from that is mm. And when you're immediately making that comparison in very, what are essentially quite layman's terms in a mm. way of getting you to understand that, yeah. it does work in that sense. Because yeah. you, are, you are made to think like, oh yeah, like what would that feel like to mm-hmm. be like a solid unit and then for one day you to wake up and then to just be mm-hmm. wrenched apart. And then the the sort of mental gymnastics you'd have to do to try and get around that, which is obviously what Porig is doing, is that mm-hmm. he's trying to he can't get his head around it no. and he keeps going back and he keeps sort of pestering like he's Cole, thinking. nagging he's, he's obsessed nagging about yeah. it, isn't he like borderline annoying well yeah. actually annoying but um yeah we've got that tussle and that kind of conflict and coming together and breaking apart and then there's this moment of sort of extreme violence with the spoilers with the fingers and yeah. the act of the cutting the fingers that you almost can't believe and like in the moment i kind of thought like this is a bit ex-, you know you've oh, gone from like yeah something that it was quite a jump it was quite a jump yeah. and so it's kind of it's a bit ridiculous but i think in hindsight like afterwards i was thinking about the gruesomeness and how it gives that quality of sort of like almost um like a fairy tale or an irish folk tale yeah, and yeah. a story that they would almost like you know folk singers musicians would almost sing about in years it's, to come it's slightly fantastical in that yeah sense, it has it? that folk law element to it which i kind of appreciated in hindsight it's, and it's thought a, about it as a whole picture it's an additional bit of hyper reality because yeah. the thing is i was thinking a lot throughout just sort of thinking like well actually if you'd cut off a couple of his fingers there's no way that he's going to be down the pub doing anything because he just would have wiped himself out his well, body exactly. would have gone into shock yeah. all of that but then I think He'd that was the point for me yeah. I was going like oh this is supposed to be like yeah. slight hyper reality mm. slight kind of you're meant to overlook the yeah. sort of actual practical logistic things there yeah this but, is something that his students will be like writing a song on the violin about yeah. like years later it yeah. takes that kind of turns into that kind of like I don't know well, storytelling fantastical absolutely yeah and I, I liked that element yeah um, in hindsight but at the time I was kind of like what the fuck what the fuck is happening yeah. why I think the thing for me I, I thought that with regards to like the comedy and tragedy of it I think that it's something that it, Madonna is really good at he is very good he at marries it. the funnier aspects of life generally with those very bleak extreme downturns and then inevitably the latter sort of like the extremity of it packs even more of a punch mm-hmm. because I think you are lulled into a false sense of security. So for me, I just didn't think at any point that Colm was got literally going to go ahead with well, cutting no. his fingers because off. Because it's... it's a threat. It's yeah. used as like a threatening device to try and get probably to just be like back off. Yeah. And then when it happens, it's like, oh shit, okay. And within the setting, like, you know, we're just on a small island in Ireland. Yeah. 
with some blokes down the pub yeah. and a very small community. So that kind of act is just like absolutely completely blown out of proportion. It's kind of absurd. Yeah. But that well, it's hindsight. Yeah, it's the it. absurdity. In hindsight, that really works. Yeah. At the time, and as you say, if you go in as someone who wasn't, I don't know, familiar with his work or was sort of maybe missold something in the trailer, mm-hmm. you might be like, what the fuck is this film trying well, to go for here? That's what, That was the reaction, I think, I felt a little bit in the cinema that there was mm-hmm. a smattering of just like, what the... Like, People were what? just like, either honking with laughter because they found it really funny yeah. and were enjoying it or honking because they were like, what? Just bewildered Why? by it. Yeah, yeah, completely. So performances wise... I am so deeply obsessed with Colin Farrell's sad face in this film. I I mean, I'm pretty sure we've waxed lyrical about Colin Farrell before. Monologue again. Isn't he I just think he's so good. I think he's an amazing actor. He is such a good actor. He really is. He's so handsome. Like, he's so handsome. I don't care what anyone says. And I think he's actually really nice. He seems lovely. You mentioned the press tour beforehand it was a delight to watch he's delightful in the same way that brennan gleason actually is totally delightful but brennan gleason's kind of like the shire yeah the shire counterpart isn't Isn't he he? but they're both like an absolute joy but colin farrell was really having a moment i am like continually intrigued by his sort of career arc in that there was like a lull yes i think there was a few shit films in the middle and then he's just claws his way back i know we've talked on the podcast before about things he's been involved in like killing of a sacred Mm -hmm. deer the lobster things like that yeah where he's actually just sort of i don't know he's just choosing to work with the really interesting directors and i'm so pleased that actually that he came back to madonna for this particular role it's brilliant it's brilliant yeah he's his performance in this is fantastic i just i love colin farrell so much and i mean i love everyone in this so you've got colin farrell's porridge and it's a role i don't think we've seen from him before so he's sort of charmingly simple and naive needy and obsessive but he also has this extreme dark side Isn't that kind of goes he? from zero to I 100 at the end yeah, yeah that turn that you, up at the end again you're not expecting that's almost the kind of darkness that you see in maybe Colm's yeah. character yeah. Brendan Gleeson's character instead and he's this kind of aging man you know reached this moment of epiphany where he realised he's getting older um, he's kind of consumed by sort of melancholy and restlessness um, and he's sort of decided to pursue artistry over friendship, which is, I, I mean, it is understandable, but it's also a total ego rub. And Isn't you're it? kind of, I sort of sympathise and I'm also frustrated by that because I don't think it's, a va- it's not it's not actually a valid reason to treat someone badly. No, it's this weird sort of balance between like, you feel sort of sympathetic for him in a way that he's sort of getting to an age where he's suddenly having this life evaluation. But then it's also like he has a slight superiority yeah. complex where he thinks he's much so much better than everyone. He's like, I, I need to leave a proper legacy, which yeah. is art, not, and you're not being involved. friends with you. Yeah, absolutely. like that's not going to have the same impact, which is shitty. So that was that was yeah. I was really interested by that. Kerry Condon as Siobhan is she's brilliant, great. She's I great. thought that was for ages. I thought she, for some reason she was Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, like at the beginning, I was I like, did, oh, yeah. Rebecca Ferguson's in this, and then <laughs> ten minutes later, I was like, that's not Rebecca not Ferguson, person, but they no. look really similar. But I liked her her own sort of personal trajectory as this woman who is trapped and held back by the island but also her relationship with her brother which is a really difficult thing to negotiate yeah. and, and then the fact that in the end she'd actually rather run towards a war than be stuck well, on that island yeah absolutely i think that tells you a lot about the situation and actually how selfless she is in terms of like having given up her oh god sort of so dreams much. And stuff. And i think i feel like you you get that sense from 
that particular performance in that she's like she's quite fed up with having put her yeah. own interests at like on pause yeah endlessly patient but yeah. also getting to the point where she has to put herself first and yeah. that must be so hard especially when you're leaving your brother behind like that oh, i really felt for them both and of course we've got barry keen i had Dominic. entirely forgotten that barry was in this and when he turned up i was so pleased to see him yeah i think like, i, I think i was same. just like <gasps> i think i genuinely gasped because i was like oh, oh God, shit of barry. Course. barry another totally solid irish dude God, i don't I know him. where they're getting them from nice to see barry and colin farrell uh reunited oh as well God. mentor and mentee isn't it's it so beautiful he's great um he's so yeah great. and he kind of plays this character who's sort of i mean i would use the term and it's not my term but it's that kind of quote-unquote slow-witted person yeah. you know it's someone who's clearly intellectually behind yeah. somewhat um and sort of Porrick is kind of naive whereas dominic's kind of struggling a little bit um and he's kind of sweet but frustrating yeah but then he has this really awful storyline with his dad it's genuinely which horrible. is just like, that to me is pete madonna though where he just throws it out there and you're like what the fuck galling like, like absolutely galling because i think he almost meant he he mentions it a couple of times yeah like in such a casual way that it's like it's blinking really you miss it away, it's isn't it fucking horrible and then also that moment where he's sort of asking out siobhan confessing his love to her isn't he in a bit and, it, and then she's just like no and then he just sort of wanders off yeah so cute Heart, and it all, like, it's genuinely so heartbreaking hard. yeah so i thought all of the performances were amazing in this and also not let's not forget the donkey oh gave a great performance jenny she's brilliant well done jenny Good donkey um great donkey acting yeah great don- great all of the animals in this like i don't know well where done. they got their Good training dog. yeah i don't know what school of acting they went to but it was worth the money congrats to them congrats they were brilliant um didn't jenny the donkey like bite colin farrell or something i'm so sure there was i mean you would junkie about that i would also nip him on his little yeah, bottom sure he, of course he would <laughs> so you mentioned the fact that it's obviously set on a kind of island off the coast of Ireland. What about the kind of setting and world building did you kind of like, dislike? What, how do you think that sort of worked in the context of the film? Because I think that like it would be a completely different Oh my god. Type. The tonally Can it would imagine? be completely different if I think if it was set on anywhere other than yeah. Ireland, if yeah. that makes sense. And probably anywhere else in Ireland. Like I think this is one of I think this is my favourite thing about it actually, is mm. the kind of the setting and the world building. Yeah. So we've gone like with McDonald, we've gone from sort of Belgium to America and now we're kind of in this very isolated island on the west coast of Ireland. And as you say, it's set during the Civil War in the sort of 1920s. And I just really got a sense of that community yeah. and the geography yeah. and the the residents in relation to each other. And I just, yeah, I thought that was a really... I don't want to say clever setting, but I, th- I just thought well, it was a brilliant setting. It works really well, doesn't it? It has that like small village mentality mm. of being in one another's pockets and knowing each other's business. Like it's very tellingly about that. Like for example, when they go to the shop mm. that is run by that woman who just like won't give you what you need oh to buy. Oh my God, she was a nightmare. told her a secret or some gossip. A rumour. Yeah, yeah that's rumor. me. If yeah. I lived in that neighbourhood, that would be me. I'd be gagging for in like shop. gossip. Yeah. Needing to know everything. Right. And also Porrick is quite happy there. Yep. And his sister is not. So no. it's kind of enough for him. Yeah. But it's not enough for her. She needs something different. I have to say the, the cinematography in this film was like absolutely it's really stunning. It's beautiful. Like the sunlight and the water and the kind of mist. Um, it's kind of romantic and beautiful and isolated. It's a really good use of that 
of, of like genuinely filming on the island and mm. on location the isolation of it i think you get a real sense of it from the things like the mm. cinematography because you see how sparse it is like the fact that right off the bat boring has to walk so far to even get to like Colm's little house right like literally like or like walk up a cliff to get to the pub because yeah, they're all completely work, nuts they're all walking everywhere or yeah. they've got cars and cars yeah because yeah. of a particular period of time or in the nine the thing is we're in the 1920s and i'm pr- did we have we did have cars by yeah, the 20s but, like, they, but they wouldn't they probably there. wouldn't have reached an island on like that to such an extent no so absolutely just, not so everything feels quite behind in that sense it's like a lot simpler isn't it and yeah and i think there's it does do interesting things with the way that it's like the sheer like idea of having to watch the war from afar like yeah. literally across the water and it's still quite close i mean the water yeah. isn't that it's not that big a gap but no. like you can literally see over well, onto the i mainland. feel like it does a lot to with the idea of like wishing more what you want more or like, it's just out of your reach. like it's literally yeah. out of your reach like on or, or not within mm. distance like it does that on a very physical way mm. like with the island and the actual mm. coastline itself and i think it utilizes like the actual reality of the, that space in like a very interesting yeah. way yeah and the idea of being like actually quite close to the action but still feeling like it's a completely it's separate thing it's not, from you, can, you like you can just turn a blind eye to it you can you hear just, the gunfire yeah. and you know that people are probably dying but yeah. it just it's like well there's this stretched water between us so it just doesn't affect us in the same way but obviously the same things are kind of happening in that town Absolutely. In the same. Yeah. so i just thought the setting and the world building in particular was sort of I thought those were some of the strongest parts and I really, I absolutely love the cinematography and thought that kind of played almost like an Irish folk song in itself. So that yeah. was very, very beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Um, is there anything else that you sort of thought about the film? How do you think it compares to his other, McDonald's other works? I find it hard to, do you know what? I haven't watched it in Bruges for so long. I actually quite find it quite hard to like rank them because mm, well, I haven't I've seen it in same. ages. Yeah. Um, I did really like Three Billboards, but I totally, totally get why it's... I totally get why it's so polarising, and I think there are things that don't work about it, and then things that work really well about it. So, mm-hmm. I can't rank them. I no, think it... I, think I mean, it's quite it is, hard. Yeah. I, tr- I tried. I think the thing for me, probably nothing will ever touch in Bruges. Yeah. Um, but that also feels like it's inevitable because it's the first one, and I mm-hmm. think that for him set the tone yeah it did um, but I think it is up there for me yeah like, I and think, I haven't seen Seven Psychopaths yeah. so I can't comment on that but, but um, I, I just think it was really interesting to sort of see him in working in an Irish setting mm-hmm. and like utilising Ireland because I think like you know he is Irish he has that Irish background but you've never seen him use that so pointedly yeah, exactly in a way like this yeah so I think it I think it's very... I think largely it's really successful. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's absolutely perfect. The one thing that did jar great on me a little oh, yeah, bit tell me. was the swearing. Mm. Because it's obviously swearing heavy, but it also felt a little bit like, isn't it funny the way Irish people say feck? Well, <laughs> yeah. All the time. I think Do you the, know? Like, yeah, I think the thing it plays up... And, and this, again, feels very purposeful, but that was one of the things that, for me, I didn't... I couldn't really get my head around it. it was very much like Irish people aren't they funny they're funny when they say feck I yeah. felt like it was turning into an episode of Father Ted at well, one point that's when exactly it was what I felt fecking all like, over the place yeah. and every time it happened the woman behind us in the cinema was like absolutely gagging she thought it was so funny yeah that was the only thing I sort of yeah like I said couldn't get my head around was just sort of like playing up to the unfortunate stereotypes that everyone does have about Irish people yeah. but I feel like it was trying to do it in a purposeful way but then mm. it did start to grate on me a little bit it's an interesting one to unpick isn't it yeah. um, I'd be interested to know what more Irish people actually mm. <laughs> thought yeah. of it um, 
But yeah, I felt like the use of feck absolutely lost its power mm. um, to kind of shock or be funny about halfway through. It was like, geez, there's a lot of them packed in. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, actually, before we finish, is the music, which, along with the kind of the cinematography and the, the, the setting, I thought was really brilliant. And it's scored by Carter Burwell, who has worked with McDonough on, I think, all of his other films, yeah, basically. So. And he's he um, scored Carol and True Grit, randomly scored the Twilight films. So this oh, is a thing I know he? at the moment, having yeah. um, recently watched all of Twilight. Um, and he sort of, I was reading how he really wanted to use sort of like Irish folk fiddler uh-huh. music. And Madonna really hates it, so he didn't want oh, to do it. Interesting. So in the end, he'd used kind of flute and harp instead to make this kind of dreamlike, beautiful it's, score yeah. that matches the sort of the landscape mm-hmm. and the sort of, I guess, Porrick's like childlike innocence. But then there's also, when you listen to it, something underneath it that feels quite unnerving. And yeah. there's like a tone to it that I can't quite put my finger on. But it feels like it is leading you down quite a It's quite unsettling. Yeah. yeah, it is un- sort of weirdly un- unsettling in a strange way, isn't mm. it? Yeah. But I really, really loved the score for it, actually. There's, it worked really yeah, well. Yeah, especially with the shots of the kind of the landscapes. Yeah. And I thought that was stunning. So... Good job on the music. On the music. Um, but yeah, overall, I think we... I've definitely warmed up to it. Yeah. I think initially I was just very like... I think the thing that I took some time to get my head around was the allegorical nature of it. Yeah. Because I think that... I think that comes in time, doesn't it? You, yeah. you do have to think about it. I think the more I sat with it, the more I was like, well, it is objectively, I think, what the point is. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think I just no. felt initially it was a bit like it was... It felt a little bit initially after we first saw it over the top for me, but actually the more I thought about it, I think actually like it's actually quite subtle. Yeah, it's largely successful. I think I I had a conversation with Claire about it because I was really interested to see what she thought, and I think we both mutually agreed that like it was a really good time. And I think the problem is you are overthinking it because you Mm -hmm. know it's got this sort of like it is purposefully trying to direct you to think about the Irish Civil yeah, War. Yeah. Which isn't, again, like I said, it's not a bad thing, but I think mm. I was overthinking that aspect of yeah, it. Yeah. When actually I think it does coexist with sort of the, the historical setting yeah. in like a very good way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it was largely like a really successful yeah. film. And I'm interested to see it again actually at some point. Yeah, me too. And I thought the performances were brilliant. I think they'll both um, be in the running for oh awards. God, they are Oscars really wise. good, isn't it? Yeah. What joy to see them all. Just oh, lovely. What a lovely time. Them. Good times. Thanks, Colin and Brendan. So, from one, I feel like one extreme to another here. This Very is much. like completely unrelated films. We've both seen another film beginning with B, and it's Barbarian, which is an American horror film written and directed by Zach Kreger. And Zach is better known, I mean, I don't know him at all, but he's known for, I think, mostly his acting and comedy work. Um, and Barbarian is his solo directorial debut. And it stars a delightful combination of um, Georgina Campbell, my boyfriend Skarsgård, Bill Skarsgård, yeah. and Justin Long. Yeah. I haven't seen in a while. No. I don't actually, this made me think that I I can't, genuinely can't remember the last thing I saw Justin Long in. No, I always remember him from, you haven't seen Drag Me to Hell, but he was in Drag Me to Hell. I actually Amazing. remember him in horror films. He's in Drag Me to Hell and he's in um, Jeepers Creepers. Well, I hope that comes up in a second because I think it will. Yes, keep I going. think it will. Um, <laughs> keep going. Uh, so the premise is that... That, uh, a young woman called Tess travels to Detroit for a job interview and she books an Airbnb in a derelict neighbourhood. When she arrives to check in, she finds it's already booked and occupied by an extremely hot man called Keith. 
not a hot name, but never mind, who's played by Bill Skarsgård. Um, and against her better judgment, she decides to spend the night, but soon discovers that there's a lot more to fear than just an unexpected house guest. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. What are we supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. So this film is one of those left field sort of critical and commercial successes where everyone is so focused on the kind of big properties that were coming out like Halloween and Mm. there's a new Hellraiser only for something quite small budget to come along and just knock everyone for six. So it's been talked about a lot. It came out in the States in early September and it was only released in the UK um, a couple of days before Halloween. So we are really coming to this late and we've had to sort of avoid, swerve a lot of barbarian discussion. It's been a nightmare. Yeah, it's been a lot. Zach Kreger was inspired by a non-fiction book called The Gift of Fear um, for this film and he cited a section that encourages women to trust their intuition and not ignore the subconscious red flags that arise in their day-to-day interactions. Uh, More said about this later. And... Well, I'd put that at sort of early in pre-production, um, Craiger had sort of reached out to finances and distributors like A24 and Neon and no one took it up. So Isn't that funny? They'll be absolutely kicking themselves yeah, I bet they now were. Um, because it had a 4.5 mil budget, which is bigger than I think they initially expected. I think they were going for like 2 mil or something, but it's grossed, um, at the time of writing my notes, it had grossed $43 million um, and will be doing a lot more. And yeah. by the time we saw it, I mean, we saw it in one of the big cinemas here which Mm -hmm. goes to show that I think since its success in the US it's been rolled out more widely here in the UK um so that's that's it in a nutshell um what were your I'd be interested to know a your expectations of this film before seeing it and also how you felt about the way this film was marketed which kind of ties in with our Banshees discussion Mm. um yeah what did you think about it um I was really intrigued I'd heard a lot of good word of mouth feedback about the film on the old social media and also on podcasts a lot of the podcasts I listened to were talking about Barbarian as being one of the best things to see this year there was an entire barbarian episode of the big picture which i had to swerve aggressively because i knew it was going to spoil it but like generally the chatter seemed to be so positive so that kind of got me interested even more Um, i'd managed to swerve any and all writing on it particularly i went through like a massive muting fest on both i think the podcast twitter and on my own twitter because i just didn't want to have any aspect of this ruined. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I hadn't seen the trailer. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't seen the trailer um, at the cinema at any point. I don't mm. think I saw it. Um, and I'm kind of glad I did because I feel like I was just... As is often the way of late, I'm really aware of the way that trailers have a real tendency mm-hmm. to spoil plot points. And where horror is concerned in particular, I feel like... I always try to make sure that I don't see them. Yeah, the less you know, like, the better. For example, it's not in any way the same, but with regards to Nope, mm-hmm. I've managed to avoid seeing the trailer for that, mm. really, the full trailer, really, in advance of seeing that film, and I'm glad I did, because I just yeah, thought that's interesting. I was really worried. Casting-wise, in particular, Bill Skarsgård is always guaranteed to get me interested, so mm-hmm. that was sort of the main... The main selling point, main I think. Well, oh my I, God, same. With regards to the marketing of it, I think, mm. the only things I really knew about it were that it was a horror film that involved Airbnbs mm-hmm. and it had Bill Skarsgård in it. And I think that that, that 
in turn comes with a lot of expectations mm. because I think one of the things I know that we'll come on to talking about is his casting in mm. particular and I think that it really uses him to its it advantage does. because yeah. I think there's a lot of expectations that you then have because it's got Bill Skarsgård in it. Oh yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, and then just finally, I think, and I don't know if I'm speaking for both of us, but I know from my point of view, and I will also preface this by saying that I watch like such a small percentage of horror films in comparison mm. to you, but I feel like most things that we were looking forward to on that front this year have been sort of disappointing. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of, I don't know, marginally apprehensive on that front really because I just didn't want to be stand let, down. let down oh no we just we say this again and again don't we that we just sort of get excited for things in particular you know anything like this and we are let down so I was yeah. a little bit apprehensive but yeah that's sort of where I was at really that's interesting I think I was kind of similar in that I'm the same as you I try and avoid especially for horror films seeing much in advance by way of trailers or um definitely write-ups but I try and avoid trailers as well um so I was aiming for as little as possible before I went in and because I I got the sense that that was also especially important for this film, well, because the the reactions were sort of surprise primarily, yeah, yeah absolutely, um, sort of mostly delighted surprise, but just definitely surprise either way. Well, I just I'd listened to a podcast where they were sort of recapping, you know, some of the best films this year, and they had pointedly said do not read anything about this film, yeah. go, try and go into it blind. And then anecdotally, I'd had a couple of people I know sort of say the same thing after they'd seen it, be mm. like, just don't read anything about it, go and see it. So I think that also just really honed in that kind of like, I don't know, desire avoid, to avoid, avoid to yeah, everything. Yeah, mute, mute. I had avoided, avoided the trailer, didn't watch the trailer until I went and saw Halloween Ends and they fucking Inevitably, put it on. Yeah, and when it started, I was like, mm, what is this? Saw Bill Skarsgård and I was like, it's barbarian they're showing the trailer so was immediately like should i be plugging up my eyes my ears do i want to know um but it's marketed again like bill scars with bill scars mm -hmm. it's marketed very deliberately as a kind of you really get the sense that it's harking to back oh, i said back not far but it's reminiscent of those early 2000s torture porn films yep. like hostel and yep. saw um, but with a more contemporary context uh -huh. with, you know, Airbnb. So it's like firmly situated yeah. in the now and those things that we're familiar with. But it is, it's it's that torture porn subgenre. And actually, interestingly, that's sort of what my presumption had been based yeah. on like probably a few of the screen grabs I'd seen. Yes. And then also just the poster. I, in my head, had immediately gone to, oh, well, if it's doing Airbnb, then it is going to be like... Yeah home invasion ambushy mm -hmm. torture porny type type thing and that of bearing in mind i watch a lot of horror films that is absolutely not my shit no, not so if i had seen a trailer like that and bill skarsgård wasn't in it i would have been like well i'm not watching that no like, that's just a halloween torture porn film that's yeah. coming out that i'm not fussed by but it was obviously the bill skarsgård of it all plus the fact that people were reacting so positively on twitter mm -hmm. if i hadn't seen those reactions there's just no way i would have gone to see it it's interesting isn't it because i don't think i would have been bothered at all if i'd not heard so much word of mouth mm. kind of positive praise for it because mm. off the bat based on my presumptions as well i just think like i was like, if you'd suggested going to see it, then I think I probably would have been game, but I, I just wouldn't. Just for a... If the cast had been October people Halloween I don't experience. care about, yeah. I wouldn't have bothered. Yeah, totally. And I'd sort of... I had remembered in advance that Justin Long was some way involved in this, and I kind of... It's interesting to see the way that Justin Long is utilised in sort of horror films as a kind of happy-go-lucky guy, um, who, again, sort of 
has a habit of turning audience expectations of his personality he's the nice on its guy. head. He's yeah. a nice guy, and it doesn't often turn out that way in horror films. So that was interesting. Um, as you say, I was also sceptical a bit because some of the other films recently that have had a huge hype, most notably for me, X by oh Ty God. West. Yes, we both notably did not. I don't think we even gel with about X it. at all. No, I don't think we even bothered. It, I mean, I feel like we're the only two on planet Earth who just not, not like X very much. So um, I was really wary of that. But it is very exciting to know that something small budget and from a lesser known director is making this really big splash. So I was kind of excited to see what would happen with this and how I'd find it because this is this is the niche where like the exciting experiences are coming from. So yeah. that was sort of expectations, which is, sounds similarly matched. Mm-hmm. What were your... Gen- so we are doing a kind of spoilerific discussion. What were your general reactions after watching it? There's obviously this idea of sort of the, the story and the setting and the premise kind of sets you up in a particular way and gives you these expectations and then things unfold quite differently um, throughout the film's running time. So how how did you find it? Did you enjoy it? Well, enjoy is a, an interesting uh, <laughs> word to use. I feel like the early story setting seemed really relatable, i.e. it sort of hones in on those anxieties you may sometimes have when you go to an Airbnb in a particularly unfamiliar location. Oh, yes. And I'm not, I'm not adverse to using Airbnb. I don't get scared using Airbnb. But there is always at the back of your mind that you are in an unfamiliar You literally don't know. There's another film I watched recently called The Rental, which mm-hmm. is also yeah. about a, a group of people that go to like an Airbnb type rental house that really, again, utilises that. So I think it's like, it's one of those more contemporary things that I think is going to crop up more in horror yeah. because it is very much a... I don't know, going to an unknown location. Yeah. But it's something that we do. It's like getting know. in an Uber. It's Absolutely. Like people do that all the time, yeah. but that's fucking unhinged. Well, it's what like gig, are we all it's doing? It's like gig economy horror, yeah. I guess, now, what in a are we way. doing? Um, I think it really relies, leans into, and then really interesting exploits your genre expectations mm-hmm. and tropes. It really weaponizes your knowledge and relationship towards particular actors too, which yeah. you sort of alluded to, for example, Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. So I think... Oh, he's that, a creepy dude. You realise, oh, creep. he's been Pennywise before. He's quite unsettling to he's look weird. at. He's weird. Um, Justin Long, generally being quite likeable. So yeah. I think you have that expectation there. I I don't think it necessarily goes over the top with psyching you out. But in that first part, because it has a three-part structure, mm-hmm. I suppose, um, you definitely assume... Mm-hmm. Again, and this comes back to the utilization of not only kind of genre expectations but casting. You assume, or you're being positioned to assume, that Keith as a character is going to be the big bad. Oh yeah, because Tess gets to this house, he's already there. You you know, there's an, a level of distrust which I think is seeded really early on. So you presume that he's going to be the one. To Someone that handsome is going to be a, yeah. He's just like trying to be nice, but there's little things like you know she doesn't drink her tea and he makes a real big thing it's about like tiny the red flag. Tiny red flags. It's that red flagging. Um, I did actually find that structure really interesting. Um, that three part. Mm. The the thing I keep thinking about actually is there's a real, really, really hard smash cut between the end of the first <laughs> part to Justin Long in a way that I think gives you such funny whiplash. Yeah. Because it it just immediately throws you into Justin Long in in a car on the Pacific. Oh, it's composed highway singing along to Donovan song. Um, and it's that's for me is so well executed it completely catches you off guard and it's such an interesting tonal shift um i guess the interweaving of things like me too felt clever you know the idea of monsters someone who's morally a monster 
like personally mm. actual monsters it is fascinating how i think you are positioned to kind of maybe empathize more with the actual monster because you mm-hmm. then begin to think that aj is very much the monster yeah and then I think the thing for me that you asked me if I enjoyed it and I, I had a good time with it. But that third section, the the, the things that you are brought to your attention in that third flashback section mm-hmm. really took it over the top into like what the fuck yeah. territory for me. Oh, it's me. absolute, yeah. Particularly in terms of how absolutely rank the law of the house is. Mm. So I actually, I just think structurally it was really interesting. Mm. But like absolutely not what I was expecting in kind of like a good way mm. completely actually I, I think I got so much more out of it than I would have done if it had been that oh Airbnb she's in a crap location this guy doesn't seem okay he's going to really manipulate that nice guy mm-hmm. idea of being mm-hmm. a person that he's being you know chivalrous by letting her have mm-hmm. all of letting her say all of this stuff um it just really yanks you all over the place mm-hmm. in a way that i completely didn't expect and i'm so relieved that i hadn't read anything about yeah. it it does literally it's like quite a roller coaster ride isn't it yeah it throws you around um tonally it just jumps yeah which i found i thought it was a lot of fun. yeah yeah i thought it was a lot of fun and i was quite happy to go along with that even when it was completely absurd because it was like wow what is this film doing to me i think i just got progressively more and more uncomfortable as the film goes on which ultimately i think is the point mm-hmm. yeah there's a there's a few films recently that have tried to sort of do a similar thing whereby maybe not with the sort of inversion of tropes but like tries to introduce something that really turns everything on its head and is so over the top yeah. like monster wise that it shocks you kind of malevolent does that mm-hmm. um there's well, like a the big comparison. ridiculous twist it's the comparison i kept seeing yeah so it's it's that kind of twist x kind of does it to a degree as well with the kind of monster reveal um and sometimes I, a lot of the time that hasn't for me personally hasn't really worked but i think i think this is a really successful I say scary. Oh, it is scary. It's unnerving and quite funny genre film, which kind of doesn't actually, as absurd as it is at the end, it doesn't, I don't think it actually overstretches itself in terms mm-hmm. of what it's trying to achieve or how clever it's trying to be. The thing I keep coming back to is that I don't think any aspect of it outstayed its welcome in no, a very sensible way. that's exactly way. it, isn't it? And I think sometimes films like this really suffer from creators deliberately trying to throw off the audience yeah. or try too hard in terms of sort of themes and what the film is trying to say. And for me, I think it's quite telling that I think Craig had said that he'd come up with an idea, started writing it, and then he found himself annoyed with his own writing and how predictable it was. So then he sort of challenged himself to change things instead of imagining almost like a grand hoodwinking of the audience from the beginning. I yeah. think there's something about that process that has made it quite successful. Um, and it's... As you say, it's really, it's obviously playing with tropes and expectations and it's very knowing about the optics of its setting and its characters. But the end, but at the end of the day, I think it's trying to tell a scary story with a bit of a wink and a nudge. Yeah. And it doesn't try and hammer it too hard or think it's too clever. It is quite clever, but it's not, like you say, it's not overstaying its welcome. No, I completely agree. I feel like it just seeds the idea of like, the, like 
I don't know, in, in a really reductive way, it's like the sort of the horrors of like reality and the things that are around you. Yeah. Because I think actually it's just like, oh, essentially it's just there was one bad man in a neighborhood who's yeah. just been doing all this stuff that nobody knew about. It's not necessarily kind of like something supernatural. It's not the or big monster like movie. No, it's actually, just like, is it? It's just what happens behind closed it's doors grim. in a seat, a horribly horrible unsettling way yeah absolutely um and it has that onion effect of sort of twisting and turning a few times Mm -hmm. so you get the expected twist not that the twist is expected but you know there's a twist coming then there's an additional twist so you kind of she goes into the basement you're prepared for the basement you see the room and you're like yep this is like saw then there's a fucking other basement you're like okay i did not expect that and i really i found that very enjoyable and it, I guess it does boil down to the fact that, like, it's not entirely... I think this, the structure is very clever, as mm-hmm. you say. Um, it's not entirely groundbreaking, but it doesn't need to be. It's kind of... It's totally satisfactory in terms of its sort of scares and entertainment. And it sort of represents the times we're living right now mm-hmm. and the way we behave. Yeah. But it's... It's not overdoing it. So I actually found that really satisfying. And you watched it at home... Mm-hmm as opposed to the cinema. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you still kind of got that, like you still enjoyed it actually, because it was definitely like a a funny cinematic experience. I would love to have seen it in a cinema setting actually, just to sort of see how my experience of viewing it would have been different. I think I will say is that actually I didn't necessarily pick up my phone. Oh, that's good. Like probably the first half of the film, because I was genuinely transfixed with like, where, where is this going um, I think the point at which I noticed that I reached for my phone was when I just was becoming increasingly more uncomfortable with what was happening <laughs> just, just from like, a, I don't want to watch just from this. a like making me feel slightly unwell point of view where I was just like oh, I, just I was looking away quite a few times towards the end but it wasn't because it was scary right. I think I'd said to you like it's it's unpleasant but not in the way that you're going to expect and we talked we mentioned that so the story and the structure we've kind of we have talked about that a bit so it's kind of a film of two halves one that is sort of tense very you know very reliant on tension and suspense and the things that we expect from this genre and then the other half that is kind of a surprise almost monster movie but it's not a monster Mm -hmm. um what did you have you got anything else you wanted to say about the structure? Um, I mean, I sort of, with regards to not necessarily the structure of it, but I suppose the social commentary aspect of it, which I think probably comes up through mm. the structure of it, you've got things like vague allusions to like the downside of gentrification, yeah, um, the rise of Airbnbs in neighbourhoods. There's like very, very throwaway references to Reaganism, which if you've got mm. any kind of awareness of like American political social history is really interesting, particularly in places like Detroit. Mm. I wonder if having a little bit of an idea of the context of like what happened to Detroit as a city mm-hmm. does help. Um if you yeah, because I think the setting it. is quite important. Yeah, because I don't know. I was just interested to sort of think about how it would read if you didn't necessarily know anything about it. I think I do if only because when i did my master's thesis and i wrote about the virgin suicides it's Mm -hmm. set in the suburbs around detroit Mm. so it talks a lot about that so i think by default because i was writing on the suburbs i talked a little bit about detroit and the concept of white flight when a lot of people who'd moved from the city into Mm -hmm. the suburbs then moved away because there was a, a continued movement of 
non-white people from cities mm-hmm. into the suburbs and the people obviously didn't like it. Detroit as a city is absolutely fascinating because you do have vast expanses like the area that the Airbnb is set where there's just completely And I mean, it houses. is vast. Yeah. This isn't just like a street, is no. it? It's a whole vast neighbourhood that has basically been left derelict. Yeah, and that, that was interesting in itself when you sort of think about the fact that obviously Tess gets there at night, so she can't see what the neighbourhood's like. Mm. And you just sort of presume, like, it's a fight. It's like a little residential just looks like a cul-de-sac, doesn't Yeah, it, and something. then when she leaves the house in the morning, she's suddenly presented with the fact that, like, she is just surrounded by empty, derelict houses, and mm. she's the only person on that street. So, you know, I found that really interesting. Um, I think there's so much, actually, you could pull apart in this about, you know, men are bad, but how, <laughs> bad, how bad they are in so many ways ideas around monsters which I've already alluded to you know like men as monsters versus actual yeah like who's the biggest monster in this probably AJ yeah yeah which Um, I think is a point obviously yeah and he's which I which I think actually going back to the structure of it I sort of like that three-part arc actually which zips back and forward in time because it does sort of increasingly provide context it's like you it's you you mentioned the onion effect it's like a little bit more information is revealed in a way that I thought was just it was just very very clever it's yeah it's fascinating it's really layered Um, i think yeah it is really layered i keep thinking of onions now that's totally true i don't think i've got anything else to add to that i mean the only thing i was thinking about was also the title barbarian and how that links to um well obviously that specifically hints at sort of barbarism and violence and cruelty in a way that feeds your anticipation of what this film is going to be and then it's rapidly becomes not what you're expecting it to be um, I listened yeah. to a podcast with an interview with uh, with Kroger and he mentions the fact that it's obviously set on Barbary Street, so mm. Barbarian, I guess, there. He also said that when he was just doing the draft of the film, Barbarian was just a word that came to mind, so he mm. put it as a placeholder. And then he said that he was at a Q&A after a screening and someone said to him if the intentional use of, I think it's 476, is mm. the number of the... It's either 476 or 473, the number of the house on the street, and someone said to him, like, oh, is that an intentional reference to, like, the first appearance of the barbarians in history? And he was like, what? it literally isn't. Oh, my but, God. But I guess that's one of those sort of slightly that's strange so coincidences. Weird. Yeah. There's also, and this links to the 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 kind of the monster, I keep saying the monster reveal, but you know what, the, the big bad reveal yeah. at the end, the kind of thing that's hidden in the basement that Wes pointed out, which I had no idea about, you might know, but I didn't, but I thought it was clever, is that barbarian is derived from the Greek barbaros, which is used, was basically a term that was used to describe the Greeks, used to describe all foreigners, including Romans, because the Greeks perceived other languages, like the Roman language, to basically sound like ba 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 ba, and that's the noise. Oh, I didn't know that. The, the woman makes, she does. the mother makes yeah. in the film, so she makes that ba 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 noise, yeah. and barbarian is, yeah, derived from barbaros, which was. The, the sound that That's the Greeks thought other people sounded like when they were foreign. Which I mean, also, how the fuck does Wes know that? Because he's a genius. He was like, you know, because barbarian, barbaros, and I was That's like, history. are you kidding me? History, I was just going barbarian. That's funny because it's like violent and shit. That's what I yeah. literally, <laughs> literally. That was my yeah. I was thinking of the isn't there a Smith song that's called Barbarism Begins? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of that. Like all these I was like going like, references. Oh, He's yeah. looking at the ancient Greeks. Wonderful. Um, should we talk about the performances a bit? Because yes. I had great fun with these characters. Um, yeah, I just thought they were all very good. What I've never seen Georgina Campbell in anything before, nope. but I thought she was very good as Tess. She's like the f- the final girl, isn't she? She's sort of 
She seemed very, and I don't mean this in a dismissive way, but she seemed really like normal. But I think that's the point is that she seems yeah. like a very realistic sort of character. Yeah, and she's she's like us, or you know, the uh, women now, well, women across time, but women, you know, us in our present situation where we will try to trust our instinct and mind the red flags. Mm-hmm. We will try and protect ourselves in all the ways that we've learned as we've been growing up as women. But sometimes situations dictate what you can and can't do. And so there's always a powerlessness there for us. So Tess is trying to be careful, trying to book into an Airbnb. She knows not to trust someone she's just met. She's trying to find hotels, but that's not working out. She knows she probably couldn't shouldn't stay but like she's in danger if she you know what sleeps in her car like and that comes across in her composure actually you can see that she's really holding back from like knowing what she shouldn't be doing to put herself at danger but also having to understand that like well she's not going to be able to go and get a hotel elsewhere so does she sleep in the car she's in an unfamiliar like yeah Yeah. it's there is that weird tension you can sort of feel you can be as careful as you want and weigh up all your options but sometimes a situation will just take all of that power away from you and you you end up doing something that you know ordinary you'd watch someone else do and go like mm, don't do that yeah she tries really hard and she also tries to help others when she really doesn't have to oh my god honestly. um which again is i don't know i was quite surprised by that she really doesn't have to it doesn't it's not even out of a sense i think of like this is what i should be doing she genuinely wants to help and it's like wow you are you are a nice person but do you not think that's something that's so innately built into you as a woman where even you're in this shit situation i think you are innately often just having to sort of default to just helping other people yeah you're like but i can't leave that person you feel like a sense of responsibility for looking after others don't you it's It's the responsibility aspect it's like wow you are you know I don't know. Well, a dude would literally cut and run, but you're like, no, I need to go back. And yeah, yeah. people that you barely know. So yeah, I thought she was great in this. She was good. Bill. Bill. He's He's just so handsome, isn't he? I honestly, I think think the week before I saw this film, I think I had seen that thing that had been circulating on the internet, which was like, if this man opened the door to me, Like you wouldn't have to beg this again. Right, this man who invites me into his basement, and I'm like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I'm I wearing just, that grey t-shirt. I am there. I just think it does use him in such a clever way because I think that for us, obviously, we think he's so handsome and just delightful. So you wouldn't you wouldn't second guess. But I think there is something sort of innately unsettling about there him. There is compellingly unsettling, yeah. but also, and and I think my brain was just going like, well, he's. He's always awful in stuff sometimes, so like he's yeah, going to be he's awful in this. Scar- I mean, you wouldn't trust a Skarsgård no. in a... They all purposefully go for quite unnerving roles, I think. But they purposefully um, use him to make you... To think that. Yeah, of course. The entire time, I think, watching it, I was just waiting for yeah. him to turn. Because he's so polite, he's so like He's a nice kind, boy called Keith. Interesting. He knows, you know, he it transpires that he's actually involved in sort of groups that... Oh, like, she, and that... If she gets that job, she's going to yeah. work. It's, it's, it's all this stuff we were just kind of going like, oh, this this feels too good to be true. He's But he seems like a nice guy. And I... And I, I presume it was the same for you. You're just waiting for him to turn. Yeah, you're like, she, he's going to lock her in that basement. Yeah. As soon as you see that bed and that camera, you're like, oh, yeah, he's a psycho. Like, he's, he's like... Awful. Yeah, he's done this a lot. Yeah, he's he's not a good dude. He's very, very bad. And he's sort of designed to lure people in. Yeah. And you have those tiny little red flags. Like, they're almost like everyday red flags that I pick up on, like... 
she said she didn't want any wine and then he poured two glasses anyway and yeah. was like, oh, I thought you wanted... And see, for me, that would piss me off. Also, I'd be he, like, I've already told you no. He really, Stop making the he assumption. He really overemphasises how he doesn't want to drink alone and it yeah. would be weird to open a bottle of wine and drink by himself. So, like, he bores And that would anyway. piss me off. Yeah, it would drive me And too. I would be annoyed if someone did that yeah. because it's not cool. And it's that kind of tiny stuff, isn't it, that... He's, it feels like he's playing the soft boy yeah. and like he's listening, but is he really listening? Yeah. Like you don't know. Um, and he also doesn't believe her when she says there's something downstairs. Like oh, he's really no. patronising yeah. about it. Turns out it was actually a good dude. And there was a part where he sort of makes some, he goes like, oh, well, there's just a bed and a camera. That doesn't sound very weird. And I was so going it like, it literally sorry, looks like if, the if anyone worked into a terraced house and was like, there's a bed in there. And a bloody a bed like, and a camera in the basement. A bed, a camera and a bloody handprint on the wall and you're going like oh that's fine that's normal it's just a bit derelict like absolutely not not yeah bad times but and then of course yeah for all his minor flaws turns out he was actually maybe just like a slightly arrogant good dude poor old keith poor old keith and then yeah aj justin long who first choice for the role was zach efron i read that when i was doing uh imdb trivia diving after the watching it and i just think like that would have been so interesting to me. I don't think it would have worked. No, I think they. So I think, different. Um, Craig He's was, too ripped. Yeah. Well, Craig had said he'd initially envisioned that role as um, that character as a beefcake himbo, okay. which is a tote that would have had a totally different. That would have just felt totally different. It t- having it like would have been nice completely boy, different. Yeah, I nice think the boy thing, Justin Long. The thing that it utilizes with Justin Long is that he is so quietly unassuming. You presume he's disarming, he is, isn't he? He's, like he's 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 like a get good looking, I guess, but he's not like Adonis. Everyone fawning over him type situation. And I think that's the whole point of Justin Long is that he is like likable. Yeah. And, you know, he he's just a nice guy. Yeah, and he's done something completely monstrous in this film. Like, absolute bad dude. And the thing I like about that performance, actually, is that you're initially positioned when it all kicks off with him that, oh, it was just a misunderstanding, that he's a nice guy, maybe he just said the wrong thing or did something. And I think you're purposefully encouraged to sort of maybe second guess and kind of mm. go like, oh, okay, well, maybe he is telling the truth. And then as the film progresses, you just, the curtain is drawn back more and more and you're going like, no, he's awful. He's someone that fully utilises being a nice guy mm. to his advantage. And the thing, yeah. the thing for me was when he was in that club in Detroit with his friend oh, when he goes home. Yeah. And he's just having this conversation and he basically, his friend's like, oh, you know, you can tell me what really happened with that girl. And then he, he does offload in a way where i was just like you literally wouldn't say that to someone because that guy's going to go straight to the press that is but fine like a classic it's such a classic me too example isn't, isn't it? it of like some bro on the phone to his friend being like no i need he his sister she he was admits, really up to it at the yeah, time he absolutely admits to how co- coercive and disgusting he was yeah and then his behavior progressively just becomes more monstrous it's yeah. more and more you and know. if he's not being a monster he's just being completely oblivious and being a fucking idiot like measuring the the bit the with the the thing. measuring tape when he's measuring downstairs i was cackling at that me. because it's so funny so funny but also like of course that's what he yeah, does of course. because and of course he's the guy that owns the apartment in yeah, the middle of, of that and he's never been there and no. he doesn't because, he just probably just bought up houses. Yeah, he, he bought he up a load of houses yeah. and he doesn't know he's in them. And as long as they're making him money, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, it's really, yeah. I think it is brilliant casting, though. Uh, and again, I think you do have the legacy of him being involved in other horror films. I My head immediately went to Jeepers Creepers. Yeah. Which is quite funny when what happens to him at the end. We should absolutely watch Drag Me to Hell sometime because it is a good... It has some flaws, but it is a good, it is a good film. And yeah, he's very... 
interesting in that mm. as well. He's um, sort of utilised in an interesting way. I guess the other character worth mentioning is the 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 character that is credited as the mother on IMDb, which is this quote unquote creature in the basement. Um, I I will say that this fucking got spoiled for me on Did Twitter. It? No, someone I muted the words, but someone literally posted a screen cap of the face. Oh my god! And put something like I can't remember. Made some reference to Airbnb. Sure. And I was like, great. So now I know that there's some sort of like monstrous woman. So I already knew that, That's and that I was so angry. Um, I think as the film progressed and you learn her origin, I think I felt so absolutely distressed. And actually, I think that my we we're going to talk about sort of like the tone and atmosphere, mm. I suppose. But that that was the thing for me where I just went from feeling like slightly unsettled to being like feeling like absolutely grotty about it because mm. you sort of you're you know initially she's very scary and horrible and she mm. obviously murders Keith, mm-hmm. but I just felt sad. It's I just really felt so, so sad. And I think it's um, also interesting because she is completely nude and unclothed. Nothing actually, there's probably... You mentioned X and you mentioned the fact that we did not like X. And one of the things I did not like with X <laughs> is I think it yep. just is very lazy with its women's older bodies. Aren't they yep, gross? gross? And that was the only thing mm-hmm. actually with Barbarian and that mother character in particular that I was just like, it really made me uncomfortable with the way that it positions the sort of monstrous aspects of women's ageing in yeah. a way that I think inevitably as a woman I do think about a lot and I know we've discussed this yeah. sort of like why do men hate older women yeah totally totally that was the same criticism I had as well is that portrayal of sort of the monstrous female mm-hmm. which is not a new trope but still it is does seem to be re-emerging at the moment as mm. you say with X um, and there's there's an article by Anna Menta in The Decider, which we'll link to, which is about why horror, male horror directors are so scared of naked old yes. ladies and sort of sites like The Shining. And um, and Stephen well, King is a very guilty party with this. It's interesting you mentioned The Shining, actually, because I went to the cinema to watch it the week before Halloween. Yeah, of course. Um, and I obviously... It, I, it was very interesting to immediately, when I was watching Barbarian, make the mental links between mm-hmm. like the old lady in The Shining. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's 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 that. Isn't so it's it? existed it's, for a while. It's yeah, like and Bilson calls it hag exploitation, which I kind of like. But it's yeah, it's and Stephen King is as a male writer is very guilty of doing this as well. Um, it is that monstrous older woman. Um, and AJ's repulsion of sort of repulsion towards the naked old lady, which obviously is because of the the strange breastfeeding scenario but it also feels really cognizant of like hollywood's general repulsion oh, 100%, towards... yeah. so there's loads to unpick there yeah i think it helps itself by having some context as to because there's also a monstrous man in the basement mm-hmm. and we get this whole backstory about what's happening which does help a bit but there is still i'm always left with this lingering fear of like yeah. thing of like God, we really don't like older women do we like we have to That's have saggy boobs. Of, We've yeah. got to have some like saggy yeah. boobs in there to really show just how like well creepy and grotesque these things are. It's when it becomes apparent that it's in fact a woman and not just some sort of like monstrous beast. Yeah, I was just a bit like, oh for God's sake. And 
actually, she yeah, she's as you say, she's not supernatural at all. No. She's just an unkept lady. She's like, unkept if lady. I didn't shave my legs, that's what I'd look like. I think the thing is meant to be that, like, obviously because of what she's a product of, it's just sort of like the sort of uh, continued inbreeding has just sort of made her sort of slightly stranger and mm. like less uh, humanly than she would be. But she is basically just a woman. She's not some sort of beast. No. That's like, you know, yeah, supernatural or anything. Which is, as you say, makes it more sad yeah. and more, not profound, profound is not the word but you know what I mean you kind of feel you feel it's definitely more um, sympathetic oh I definitely but again at the same time it feels a bit I, I had increased as the film progressed I had increasing compassion for her yeah <laughs> yeah than I would have done if it was just some sort of like mythical creature yeah. that was so just I, living underneath the house it worked better for me than some of those other especially recent examples of like actor in old lady makeup yeah like X to be honest yeah, definitely. is and that was a film that felt like it was trying to do something really deep and meaningful with a figure that was just like a bit insulting. Yeah. Um, did you find this film scary? Um, I did not find it scary. I mm. found it really unsettling, quite tense, creepy. And then as I've mentioned, just absolutely grim and grotty towards the latter point. So basically from when it's brought to your attention, sort of the origin story of the woman and the mm. house that she's living in, in that sort of... So that third section I just started to feel progressively more gross um I just felt worse as it unfolded just very grotty about what was happening and then I guess I felt quite shell-shocked towards the end but mostly in a what the fuck way like I don't think I was scared I think it just it was very tense yeah it was just very tense and like oh it uses tension well doesn't it an underlying feeling of feeling slightly grotty Yes. Is what I think. There's a grottiness to yeah. it. I think there is a creep. Yeah, there's definitely a creepiness to it. And I like the way it plays with the darkness of the house and the tunnels quite well. Again, yes. plays with your expectations. Like there's that moment before AJ goes into the room in the basement where the old man is uh-huh. in the darkness and you're waiting for something well, to, you know, there's something in the darkness, you're waiting for it to jump out and then it doesn't. It was making me think a lot about the descent. Oh yeah, that sense because I was in going the caves, yeah. and then I was thinking about that creepy pasta that I told you about. Oh recently, my god, the one about the cavers. Yeah. I think because I was just going like, oh, tunnels and caves. Oh no, I they're hope not this good, is... are they? No. Claustrophobic. Like, yeah, not great. Not nice. um, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't know if I was scared, but I was definitely on the edge and creeped out. Yeah, same, same. Um, and I did like the way that the structure and tone um, kind of flipped themselves so that. We, had, we went through this story um, with Tess and Keith and then we basically do the same story but with AJ and he's encountering the same thing she does but whereas she was like gasping and crying and petrified, he's getting out his fucking measuring tape yep. and that was like quite a contrast as well and was kind of, well, funny but also, you know. but um, it Proves his ignorance really. Pro- proves his ignorance. Um, I'm glad you liked it though. Yeah, um, I think it was a perfect length. I don't think it needed to be any longer. No, good length. I don't. I don't like. I said to you initially. Like, I think that each section of it, it just doesn't outstay its welcome in mm. a way that I think is very refreshing. Really, I think there's nothing worse for me than like a, a horror film that like really labours its points by just going on for too long. That's the thing. It didn't labour its point. It didn't think it was too clever. Mm. I think it's structured well and it's clever enough. Yeah. And it doesn't try and push its themes too far. No. They're kind of there and they're there for us to discuss, but it's yeah. not hammering at home. So no. I had a good time with this. I was glad I saw it. Yeah, I think it definitely worked from not seeing a huge amount of information about it beforehand. Yes, I was really bummed by that person. Yeah, I on Twitter. Can, I livid. Imagine that's a real shame. 
glad though. But I've got a couple of articles about naked old ladies yeah, that I will link to. It's in interesting the show notes. actually. It's it is a for me it's a really good example of a film that I was like desperate to read about as soon as I was finished mm-hmm. because I wanted to see what like people had written about in particularly in terms of unpicking many aspects of it because and actually I think that like it is a very interesting film to discuss because like we say there is sort of a lot going on that you can read into in a, mm. in a kind of a fun if you way to, like well like reading into that door number yeah and it didn't even but no, that's very that's it? cool that's a clever coincidence I feel like I've learnt things today isn't that nice yeah that's good time to try the new sandwiches yo this shit looks different what do you think it's redundant and white just like you <laughs> So from barbarian to bear, bear, barbarian, bears. Yeah. So as Steph alluded to in the intro, this is something that I've been wanting to talk about for ages. I think I loosely mentioned it when we did our mid-year favourites. Yeah, you did. Um. So I'm really pleased that we are finally now going to be talking about the bear, which is an eight-episode American comedy drama television series created by Christopher Storer. It premiered on FX on Hulu in the states on June 23rd, 2022, and then finally came to Disney Plus in the UK last month in October. The the show stars Jeremy Allen White, Ebon Moss Bacharach, Ayo Edebare, Lionel Boyce, and Abby Elliott, with Matty Matheson and Oliver Platt also making appearances. So the premise is Carmen Carmi Berzato is an, an award-winning chef from the world of fine dining who leaves New York and comes home to Chicago to run the original beef of Chicagoland, his family's Italian sandwich shop after the suicide of his older brother who left behind debts, a rundown kitchen and unruly staff. Everyone at the beef is reluctant to embrace Carmi's new vision for the restaurant and in particular new recruit Sydney. Um, the series has received critical acclaim and on July 14th of this summer um, was renewed for a second season. So I suppose we'll start with expectations going in. I'd be really interested to hear what your expectations were, considering I'd spent probably the better mar- part of like three months banging on about it. You hadn't wanged on about it for a while, but in a, in a very good way. Um, I hadn't heard of this until you had mentioned it to me and... I knew immediately when you described it that it would be something that you would love because of the setting and the relationship to food and the kind of high, knowing what a high stakes tense environment a kitchen can be and then seeing uh, Jeremy Allen's face and hair and white t-shirt and I was like, wow, what a what an April combination. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you'd, you'd said such positive things about it. I was really looking forward to watching it and I had pretty high hopes. And I guess I did have that anticipation actually that it would almost feel like a Safdie Brothers film mm-hmm. in terms of its kind of absolute painful, oh, I don't know what you'd call it, just like the tension yeah, of being yeah. in such a fraught environment like a restaurant kitchen in Chicago. It just, it sounded like a, re- uh, uh, a recipe um, for something that would be like very enjoyable, but actually quite painful at times um, and probably very funny. So my expectations were high. I hadn't, funnily enough, I hadn't read or seen a lot of reactions to it before it landed in the UK, mm-hmm. just your reactions really. But then at Halloween, I saw like 5,000 like 
kami outfits for yeah. halloween like yeah. so many people dressed as kami and i was like oh okay yeah this is like this has gone down as quite a big thing like lots of people are talking about it but they weren't necessarily talking about it in our like our circles so yeah. i had i was looking forward to watching it and also really pleased that it had quite a short run time um it seemed i was like this is i felt like it was going to be pretty neat in terms of its execution but i think i expected it to be funny and tense and there were some other to- I get I just yeah there were some other feelings it brought out of me when I was watching it that I didn't expect but what were your expectations because this came to you a lot sooner than it came to me yeah strangely I was quite hyped for it um I'd heard a lot of good things and word of mouth via a lot of the podcasts I listened to um particularly American based ones that had been covering it immediately as soon as it was on FX in the States and I had also similarly seen a lot of like critical chatter about it on Twitter I think because I do just follow an awful lot of like pop cultural and tv writers so they Mm. were all inevitably talking about it so i think it and it's primarily also why i made the effort to try and see it in advance of it coming to the uk because i just was getting so annoyed by (laughs) hearing the premise and just being like that is like literally everything i like and i just want to watch it now and funnily enough i had seen that matty matterson um the chef had been filming in chicago in the last sort of 18 months so immediately I realised at that point, I was like, oh, of course, that's what he was filming. So that kind of jogged my memory a little bit. So I did know, not to my knowledge, but I realised as soon as I saw the bear that I was instantly reminded of like, oh, Matty had been posting Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. being in Chicago and being involved in this programme called The Bear. So I immediately kind of put two and two together. Um, But apart from that, I didn't know a huge amount about it. I had been really hoped that I would like it because I am a fan, a big fan of of food-based television any kind of any kind really you know things like Bourdain in particular but I will literally watch any cooking show and I think we've over the years on the podcast I've mentioned sort of a few food oriented programs that I have particularly enjoyed so for me it was very much just like ticking all of my boxes so mm. I I was really hopeful that I was going to love it I mean I suppose initial reactions wise I've made no secret of the fact that I fucking love <laughs> no. this program. Yeah. Um I have at this point I have now watched it through three times. You mentioned a second ago the episode length. It's only an eight episode arc and the episodes are about half an hour long. I mm-hmm. think the longest is the finale, which I think is forty minutes. Okay. Um but apart from that though, it's really, really short bite sized mm. episodes. Mm. Um, which is why I mean the first time I watched it twice in a week because <laughs> I just blitzed through it and I loved it so much that I wanted to go back and um and rewatch it. But what so what was your initial reaction to when you finally got around to seeing it? So I finally got around to seeing it a few weeks ago when it was on Disney Plus and I had a weekend with a couple of evenings to myself. So I ended up watching it in two evenings, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like two hours per evening. I did the same. Um loved it. Like couldn't put it down, found it totally absorbing, which is why I ended up watching it all at once instead of trying to sort of draw it out. Mm-hmm. Um I think it does really great for something it is quite short yep it does a great job of sort of building a detailed world and like fully rounded characters in a really short running time um in that first episode i sort of had an immediate grasp of carmen and the sense that he was returning to a familiar spot but was an outsider Mm -hmm. but had also felt like an outsider in new york um and i got the sense of sort of Sydney as well as a new starter and where she was coming from and her sort of expectations versus sort of reality and 
yeah, I just immediately could understand the kind of what the setup was here. Um, I think the thing that really struck me, as I said, I sort of anticipated the the heat of the kitchen and I anticipated that it would be pretty funny. But I was really struck by that sense of grease and lofts, yeah. which I wasn't anticipating at all because I didn't really know the story behind the show. And for the first few episodes, you can really tell that something or someone is missing and there's this sort of ghost in the kitchen of Kami's brother Mm -hmm. but you don't know all the details um you just get this sense that there's this family pulled together you know they're not a blood related family but they are a family that have been drawn together because of where they work and because of what they've been through and they're very tight and they're kind of battling through this grief together um so that really really struck and made an impression on me um, it's absolutely hilarious as well though it's like, really funny I that think, episode with the punch bowl and the kids has like stuck with me forever yeah it's it's interesting actually I think it really does marry that kind of like sadness with a lot of the comedy mm. um, I think it's funny because I think the premise is relatively simple but it's incredibly effective and I think it's really well constructed and it's interesting to me to hear that you also felt like you immediately are given or get a grasp and a sense of who the characters are. Yeah, even like, without knowing their full background, I just got that sense of it. Yeah, you get an idea of like why they are the way they are, why yep. they behave the way they do, why they have such an attachment to the restaurant and why they're so reluctant in particular to engage with Kami and mm-hmm. Sydney and what they're bringing to the table. Like it's mm. interesting to sort of immediately off the bat know that there's already this really tight-knit dynamic in a workplace. Yeah. who are experiencing loss and that i like the what you said there about there being ghost in the kitchen because there is it's true you know kami's there and he's trying to insert his control over the over the business as head chef and Mm -hmm. owner and they're all just so unwilling but you i just think immediately you get it yeah you get it without even knowing the full details of like what happened like i don't think you find out what happened to his brother until later on really you know that he's died and actually initially i was even like, was it his brother? Was it like, it takes a little while to Mm. kind of, for the full picture to kind of emerge, but it doesn't matter because I think the emotion of it is really palpable. Yeah. And I also liked, you obviously had that kind of excruciating pain of being in a very fast paced environment and everyone's yelling at each other and it's very loud and it's very like abrasive, but also you have those really delicate moments of sort of meditation when people are making food Mm -hmm. that's sort of scattered across the, the madness. Um, and it's like those moments of pause for the characters and the viewer, like Marcus making desserts, for example. And it was just funny watching that and going like, this is April is going to be loving this shit. She's going to be loving these moments where people are like taking a breath and pulling something together with like love and delicacy and like they're quite proud of it. And I was like, oh yeah, I totally, it's, that's what making food is all about, right? Well, yeah, I mean that, that sort of brings us on really nicely, I think, to like the story and themes because mm. I think there is so much in it about grief and the team's grief and Kami's grief over losing his brother and all the rest of the you know restaurant's grief over losing their friend and leader and also just the relationship that I think that grief and food have to yeah. one another there's so much in here like you say about the care that goes into making food and what it says about you and then in particular your relationship towards other, other people, people yeah. as well you know with, with regards to that kind of like ghost in the kitchen aspect I think one thing I often found myself thinking about was just, just the way that it sort of presents you with like the idealized idea 
of a person mm-hmm. versus the actual reality of it. Yeah. So there's, you know, we learn about Mikey as being the person that's gone mm-hmm. um, and that everyone loves Mikey, you know, he's such a great guy, but then actually you're then positioned to kind of think about as the series unfolds, mm. what was he actually really like? Yeah. Do people yeah. just have this sort of like He wasn't perfect. No, no, at all. And I think, I don't know, just there's there's so much in it about the friendship and the interpersonal nature of 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 relationships in a work setting because mm-hmm. you do spend so much time in this yeah. particular dynamic and in a kitchen it's even closer in even closer quarters and it's inevitable that you would form these bonds with people that are akin to family like i find it fascinating that the meal that they always have in restaurants generally across the board in the world the meal they ha- a team has before they start service mm-hmm. is family meal yeah because it's like they will eat beforehand collectively as a group yeah. and i think that just really again just sort of ties into this idea of like what it is like to be in a dynamic in a kitchen where you are mm. basically running in such a tight ship i think the thing about the show as a whole is and i i think becomes more obvious as it progresses and it's something i quite liked about it actually is that you do realize that the whole show is about kami t- coming to terms with and open up after the death of his brother mm-hmm. in that particular final episode when he goes to the meeting and mm-hmm. he does this like massive monologue mm-hmm. and like you say you learn about the nature of his relationship with his brother mm-hmm. and how his brother was almost a driving force with what is what kind of triggered Kami to go mm-hmm. out and become a chef and not even in an inspirational it. way no. it was almost out of spite push him away he like, says that actively yeah I'm gonna like fuck you over by yeah. doing this yeah yeah I just I don't know I think there are just so there's lots in here about high and low culture working class food awkward cuisine oh, yeah. what it means for Kami to return to his roots the baggage that his background has because you do mm. get flashbacks to him in the kitchen in New York mm. and it's sort of like for as good of a chef as he'll be he's always going to be getting pulled down by someone yeah 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 absolutely and again it's that like expectation versus reality isn't it and like yeah the highs and lows of like learning to cook from home versus learning to cook in a culinary school and then um uh sydney's like expectations as well like she's just newly kind of graduated as it were so you have this like perfect idea of the way things should Mm -hmm. run and she's obviously very clever and she stands up for her own convictions and she might be right a lot of the time but she also needs to learn that things like aren't always going to work that way and it can't always be it's like really, the way you think it should be. It's a really fascinating dynamic between Kami and Sydney because on paper they have a lot of the same ideas of what they want the restaurant mm-hmm. and the beef to be. But you do have this sort of like back and forth between them where he has very much like the realised, the actual reality of it. And she does have this completely idealistic, yeah. lofty expectations, which come from a place of love because she actively says, well, the reason she wanted to get involved in the restaurant is that it's growing up him. it's her father's yeah, yeah. restaurant and because she's a fan yeah. of Kami. But... Um, Casting and characters wise, I think that it's really interesting when you do think about the fact that like equally, obviously Kami is the main driving force behind the film and he's the sort of the lead character. But it's interesting, I think, because you are you spend so much time in the kitchen with the team. You do a lot of them equally get a lot of screen time. And I found the casting in it really, really interesting. And I think it really benefits from not having too many big recognisable names. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any who are the big recognisable so, names? Jeremy Allen White. I had never seen him in anything before, but he plays Lip. He's in Shameless. He plays right? Lip the in US the US version of Shameless, Shameless which is like... So he's like known, successful. but not like known, known. No, not yeah. at all. I mean, for me, um, Evan Moss Bacharach, in my heart, he'll always be Desi from Girls. Mm-hmm. So anytime yeah. I see him, he is just Desi from Girls. But I thought he was great as Richie in this. But apart from that, like... 
I am Io Dabari is a comedian mm-hmm. and I've she's done voice work she um, does one of the characters on Big Mouth but I knew of her because yeah. I think she's written for a lot of shows as well but mm. I've never actually seen her mm. in it and I think it does that helps as well because I think if you had big names in it, I think it would have taken you out. Yeah. I mean, actually, I guess the one big name is John, bon- John Bernthal. Yeah. And he's in it for... For two seconds. For two seconds. But actually, that almost... Like, I didn't... I didn't know... I don't... I mean, you probably had mentioned to me that he was in it, mm-hmm. but I hadn't remembered that when he came on. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, it's John Bernthal. Yeah. And then forgot. And actually, yeah, that almost took me out for a yeah. minute. So it's kind of... You're right. They all have... Um, I think they're all given... Sta- their characters are given space to kind of breathe and develop. Yeah. And they don't, um, even though Kami is in the centre, they don't, I don't think he necessarily like stands above them Mm -hmm. and no one overcrowds or overpowers anyone else. Um, I like that they're all completely batshit and flawed and at times irritating, but clearly lovable in their own ways. Yeah. Um, And Richie's a really interesting character because he's like very loud, but lost and he kind of plays it like he has it all together. He's the one with the shit together. He's holding it together. But he is, you know, his life is falling apart. Um, and he and Kami have, like, the most conflict and the most connection mm-hmm. at the same time. So I liked the dynamic that they have together. I think towards the end, they end up just having a very sibling-y relationship. Right. I think, which is completely purposeful. Mm. Because, obviously, Kami does have his other sister, Sugar, but she's basically there to just be slightly shrill and have a go at him at all times. And then he's also warring with Richie. And I think towards the end, he does obviously sort of, I don't know, level out. They are brothers, aren't they? They are very much brothers. Mm. Um, I really love Lionel Boyce as Marcus. Marcus as a character, Mm. I think, is wonderful. Because he just, you see him thrive with Kami in that environment. Yeah. And just generally, Jeremy Allen White, just to go back to him, I think he's just so compelling as Kami. Super compelling, super compelling. He balances, manages to balance the sort of inherent sadness and driven nature of Kami as a character in a way I think is very Yeah, what a good clever. character, eh? Yeah. And so handsome. Just very handsome. Very um, handsome. Great white shirt. Well done. Doesn't he look great in it? Oof. Um, I think generally where the show's concerned, it has been picked up for a second season and I'm really fascinated to see where it'll go because I have thought a lot about the fact that actually it could just exist as a standalone. Standalone. Because mm. of the way that it sort of ties up towards yeah. the end, it sort of instigates or directs you towards like where things could be going in the future. But the thing I've come back to quite a lot when thinking about what they will do in the second season is that I really don't want them to romanticise the relationship between... Kami and Sydney. Sydney. Yeah. I quite like that they exist. Because it's all... A... I, there were a couple of bits where I was like, oh, is this it's about ling- to get into... It's lingering looks. Yeah, is this about to... Oh, no, it doesn't good. No, I um, quite like that their bond is like solely, I don't know, intellectual and work-based. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and realising how they play to each other's strengths within a it's team. It's professional, isn't it? Yeah. It is professional, so I hope they don't lose that. I mean, I have to say, shows like Succession have given me hope that... Just because they're extending it and renewing it doesn't mean they're going to fuck it up. Because there was a... I think prior to that, I was often of the opinion, like, don't renew it because you might ruin it. So many things have just lessened over time and Succession has done a really good job. So it gives me hope that they will pull this off. Yeah, definitely. I think what's quite interesting, actually, is I'd read an interview with Jeremy Allen White where he talks about the fact that he'd been on Shameless for, like, I think it's 11 or 12 seasons (laughs) for a show. And he's... Maybe 30, 32. How long was the UK shameless? That wasn't that long, was it? Like three or four seasons. 
it's isn't that funny? Oh my god! So it's interesting to sort of think about the, the idea of him going from one long-term show to another. Mm. But that's interesting. The only other thing I wanted to just mention on the front of the bear is there's a really great video that GQ published recently where Jeremy Allen White and Lionel Boyce are discussing who is the greatest director of all time, (laughs) whether it's Stanley Kubrick or Robert Altman. And it's basically just pornographic. Don't you you love it when people have a nice dynamic? It's just lovely. I think that's the thing I quite like is it's great dynamics, great casting, great... Great people. Just great people. And also great music. That was the other thing. Isn't the soundtrack good? So that Refuse track, like, sticks with me. I don't think I could ever hear that for the rest of my life now and not think of this show. Can you imagine how I felt when I put episode one of The Bear on and I immediately heard that riff from yeah. New Noise? I just honestly... It's like, Whoa. Like, yeah, it's so memorable. And it's like very 80s and 90s, isn't it? And it's kind of like that mixture of music that you'd probably expect to find. They've done a lot of good um, music choosing yeah um it's a lot of it's very chicago oriented as well so there's a lot of wilco on the soundtrack yeah which i really really love as obviously references to uh sufjan stevens mm. very big native of chicago and i think actually there's a couple of other sort of the some rap and hip-hop tracks on there yeah and i think they're chicago based as well oh, so okay. it's actually it quite sense. clever and it's gone yeah it's chosen very local oriented yeah and it's not like i mean they wouldn't do it because it wouldn't make sense but you know i think if you think of like the culinary profession. Oh. My expectations is the sort of music that would be played mm-hmm. in the background of, like, a restaurant mm-hmm. or a kitchen. Like, yeah. Would be something very different. But great use of um, Counting Crows. Oh, God, that Counting Crows song. <laughs> yeah. So, um, great soundtrack, though. I just love it when a, a show has a great soundtrack. I've listened to the soundtrack, actually, quite a lot since I first saw it. Because it is just... It's quite nicely... It flows really well. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing too over the top, but... Oh, just a great show. I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. I highly recommend it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Wes didn't watch it when I watched it because he was out those two nights, but I'm definitely going to make sure he watches it and I'm going to watch it with him um, before the year is out. It It was great. Really great. What a good time. Great time. Can't wait for season two and we can enjoy it together. So, uh, that's us done. You can find us on Twitter, we're at the Thurst, and Instagram at the Thirst Pod, or you can drop us an email on the thirstpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of any of the things we reviewed today, and don't forget to have a look in the show notes um, for some links to some articles and for timestamps as well. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen, and give us a nice review, because it definitely helps people to find us. Thanks very much. Bye! Bye! Bye. Thank <laughs> you.